Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Steve, we're back. We're back Welcome in the back house. Welcome to, back to, to the Waffle House. I'm waiting on the... Dwayne to send us a new logo. Oh, is so, he? So, yeah, but I, I, I didn't do I didn't do the Waffle House logo. So what I did was, I think I told you this, right? That I'm doing the Des Bishop podcast with Stephen Mullen. Yes. Your yes, your, yeah. your name and prominence. You're comfortable with that, right? I'm okay with that. Yeah, once you're okay with it. Once I, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely okay with it. It's just that it just, it just makes life a lot simpler. Of course, yeah, yeah. It just means that you have to fucking be around. I know it's all good. I mean, in today's technology, it doesn't feel like too much of an obligation to see. It's good crack, man. It's good crack. So, for our listeners, uh, Steve and I are just doing a quick intro here because I'm interviewing. You know, what happened was, Steve. So, first of all, let me just say to our listeners that I'm interviewing Janine Anderson. She's a, a lawyer here in the United States. She's not a performer, she's not a public figure, but she. Um, African-American woman who grew up very poor in the south side of Chicago, and her story is, is quite inspiring because, against all odds, she uh, is a, a successful corporate lawyer here in New York. And I just thought, after the conversation with Yamanika, uh, just to follow on from that, because Yamanika basically told the story of growing up middle-class black woman in a white person's world, uh, I thought it would be also interesting to get... Uh, Janine's story, which I've been meaning to sort of chat to her for quite a while. So I just, I, I wanted to accentuate the conversation with Yamanika, which is, brings me back to joking with you, which is the last time I talked to you, I was like, yeah, so me and Yamanika are going to moan about Trump. And then Yamanika gave me a fucking, a, a, a fucking, a class right. on racism in America. Wow. A challenging okay. class on racism yeah, in America. Yeah. And uh, which uh, was very well received. Uh, and actually inspired a comment on our on our Apple podcast. Comments. Oh God! Wow! And I wasn't doing my voice. You know, your your voice also gets a lot of good comments. But <laughs> I just I thought since it was so well received, let's let's uh, let's continue this discussion about race for for another week. And uh, so we'll have Janine on in a while. Now, this is not to put you under any pressure at all, Steve. To talk so, about race. So, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, there's no pressure to suddenly come in and 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 give your opinions on race. But I did I did think it was quite funny because we did the intro last week, and I I was expecting to have one conversation, and Yamanika uh, had another. But the good news about Yamanika is, well, first of all, to me, Yamanika is always super funny we have uh -huh. great banter like she gets the banter yeah and this might be a controversial statement but i do feel that african-american culture are just everyday vernacular banter their energy yes it kind of fits in with the irish energy i don't know how to describe it but they they they're always in the mood for a laugh and i always feel like when i meet up with yamanika it's like straight away it's crack yes it's like they, they 
they they <laughs> it's so funny because no this is also like <laughs> crack is it possibly an unfortunate word oh yeah you can't yeah yeah gets the u.s audience not crack not crack. no but but yamanika gets the crack so anyway the reason why i'm telling this story is that yamanika was saying to me afterwards that she feels that her and i should do more stuff so we'll probably have her on uh as, oh great as, as absolutely yeah because what i what i said to her was that yeah well let's let's have you on a few times and let's see if if anything organically develops Amazing. and then maybe we'll go off and do our own thing but that that's neither here nor there that's just a little follow-on from from uh from yamanika so thanks everybody uh for all the feedback i just have to, i know- do agree with you but also with with that like comedy is part of the african american culture of the language but also african culture my african friends here in ireland funny is just part of everyday life it seems just taking the piss out of each other and just looking to laugh as much as you can i think it's brilliant it's brilliant yeah yeah so so i i think that's partially why myself and yamanika hit it off so much um Anyway, we're going to have that chat today. But first, before we do, Steve, how are you? Because I feel like to for our American listeners, yes. they'll be fascinated to know that Ireland has gone into a further lockdown. Mm-hmm. We so have. can you explain to me right now, because my friend was telling me, explain to me right now your movement restrictions as of today. So as of today, uh, well, there's a new uh, rule that will be uh, in, will be enforced actually from midnight tonight, where nobody is you're no longer allowed into each other's ha- homes. That's been a problem here with the, the way that the virus has spread is people spending time too much in each other's homes, and they've restricted that in various different ways. It was at first there was no. Uh, no more than groups of 10 were allowed in somebody else's ho- house, and that went down to six, and it can only be from a, one different household. So what that means, for example, is if I was to go visit my parents and my sister called as well, it, they, my parents could only have me or my sister because she lives in a different household. So all that... But if your parents lived in a different county, you couldn't go there anyway, right? You're not allowed well, to also, leave Well, also, yes, yeah, 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 exactly. Where we are, where we are at the moment, uh, the whole country is on level three, uh, and you're not supposed to leave the county at all, except for work or. I know my buddy reasons. was telling me I can't believe that that like they're literally like checking your car like are you a Dublin person? Well, they have got you have to put on a, you have to put on an accent. Since, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that goes back to like, the, what the, do you do? What do you do if you bought a used car and you have a fucking Kildare Reg on your car? Oh, that that goes back to the um to the, the the brilliant Fred Cook video on Instagram where he pretends that he's being pulled over in Dingle. <laughs> And the and he rolls on the window. He's like, "Oh, I guard. I'm from Dingle. Local, I am. I absolutely." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, does I mean they've basically um, put checkpoints on all the motorways and main roads coming into Dublin, so they slow the traffic right down. So the the first day that they started doing those check checkpoints, there was traffic jams of eight kilometers, and that's a lot because a lot of people are working from home anyway. So they've done everything they can to basically stop people moving around the country. Yeah, yeah, and and that's for like what, like four or five hundred cases a day. Is that what's going on? Um, in oh no, it's up, it's up, isn't? Oh shit, I haven't looked at the the numbers for nationally, but it was up at no, it was up at a thousand at one point. Yeah. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Northern Ireland now is much worse than 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 down south. So today, um, they have put uh some some of the border counties so to the americans that would be some of the people that oh that's right the border counties are going level four that's they're at level four yes yeah yeah so monaghan cavan and donegal which are some of the highest rates in the republic of ireland 
they have now gone into level four, which is a, a further height of restriction. They can't cross the border. Not that that ever stopped those people. Absolutely not. <laughs> now, there's no way. You, if we're going to cross the border, we're going to cross. We'll fucking bring Corona across the border for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Donegal, it was crazy. They had a flare up out of nowhere. Oh, they must have right. been doing saw that. no social distancing at all. Um, but uh, yeah, it was crazy. And it's kind of crazy in Northern Ireland generally. The numbers are through the roof. But I was up there for work uh, recently enough. And I was very safe, socially distant, and I was working on a job that was very well um, monitored. But there, nobody's wearing masks up there. And the pub situation is, as far as I could see, was as per usual. It was just like there was no social distancing. And students I guess had when ju- you survive, you survive thirty years of the troubles. You think, fuck, that's it. Virus. What's a fucking virus? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna blow up I, is it? in the north. <laughs> the, the north is tough enough as it is in fucking normal times. I've no, no no surprise they're fucking in the pub. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's strange. It's strange times. It hasn't changed a huge amount for me personally or for my family. We kind you're of, used to it now. We're just used to it. Yeah, the only thing it has stopped is like uh, my daughter's uh, like friends from from preschool. We might take one of them for an afternoon. That just knocks that on the head, basically. Oh, you, know? you can't. Oh, can't. yeah, yeah. But she's it's all tough, right. But they, but they just go play outside. It's fine to play outside. And then, so finally, before we introduce Janine. You're back in school now. What's what's that like? It's uh, I'm sh- <laughs> I'm shocked. So is this that- online? Yeah, is it online? It's, it's all online. Yeah, so I spend my days sitting here in front of a laptop doing philosophy classes and psychology and all and that. And then Des annoys you by saying, "Listen, right when you get off, you need to stay on your laptop now and ch- talk." Yeah, yeah, do a podcast. Um, it's I, I'm quite taken aback at how much how happy I am doing it. I think it's maybe overdue. I dropped out of it's crazy, bro. I dropped out of school 17 years ago when I was 17. <laughs> um, so it was like half my lifetime ago I dropped out of education and I never returned. Um, and I love it. It's the Trinity Access program. Oh, you're doing? Tri- I didn't know you were doing Trinity Access. Yeah. You know, I, I I I know a lot of people that have had very positive outcomes from Trinity Access. Yeah, Including I mean Lynn Ruan. Lynn Ruan has been a guest on this exactly. Podcast. Yes, yes, Senator Lynn Ruan, isn't she? Senator Lynn Ruan, right? And, uh, my buddy Desi. I won't last name him. I don't want to get him. okay. But I know, I know a lot, of, and I know a few others. There's a lot of guys from the, separately, independent of the two people I've just mes- mentioned. People that I knew from the, uh, you know, the world of uh, recovery and stuff that yes. use the Trinity Access program. Very positive outcomes. Yeah, yeah. It's um like I'm doing it. So Trinity Access, like. Uh, administer the the trinity access program through two different colleges outside as well as doing it in trinity so i'm in one in pierce college which is based not f- uh, in crumlin area not far from rialto and i know uh, pierce college yes exactly yeah yeah so um, but they've man they're amazing and it's like such tough circumstances because you have to change them everyone's online you've got lots of people who aren't good at using computers and all that but we're still managing to juggle it and Everyone helps each other out. So I'm shocked at how much I'm loving it is the main thing. I'm, I'm really happy. I know, but if you go, you're going to go into Trinity as a mature student, you know, and that, that means yeah. you're going to be the most annoying motherfucker on the planet. I hated mature students when I was an undergrad. <laughs> They're so motivated and like, yeah, yeah. They, they, they know what they want. They're focused. Yeah, but I'm a know? comedian now, so I still have to, I still crack the jokes on the lecture days. Do you know what I mean? You have to do that. Are you cracking jokes on, oh, the, on yeah. the Zoom call? <laughs> Just the like odd one. Time and you get you get the timing right on that. Yeah, yeah. It's but if you go back to Trinity as a mature student, you have to. It's I, I don't know for some reason you have to do like social studies. <laughs> it's like, that's like the mature every, student. No, course. everyone in my class, bro. It's not far off. Everyone I don't want to do. Everyone in my class wants to be a psychologist. Every single one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, not a fucking hope. But um, what are you gonna do? What I don't actually. I don't. I don't actually know, bro. I don't. I don't know. Um, 
Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty good at the English literature for some for whatever reason, but I, oh, I don't gosh, know. Steve, do you it. can't go back to college to do a fucking useless subject. That's like exactly English. what I exactly. That's exactly what I think. There's a cool. By the way, if anyone thinks if anyone thinks I'm being harsh, that is my degree: English and history from UCC. <laughs> so you did English and history, right? Yeah, yeah. English and history from UCC. Useless. But it helps you. To, you're a good thinker, Des. Folks, it helps you. You're good cognitive. Yeah, like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. No, nah, it's great. Listen, every now and then I get to make a Jane Eyre reference, you know? <laughs> Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, gothic novels. Well, we do have to re- we do have to read um Emma this year, the Jane Austen one. I have to oh, read yeah. that one. So, um I don't know what that's oh, like. Oh, you'll enjoy that, you know. Those and it, it, you know what? It's great because you'll be able to read that through the lens of the Me Too movement and just just uh, you know, female uh, women writing these novels at a, at a time of total male dominance. So you'll really yeah. be able to revisit that now. It's like, or yeah. George Eliot, George Eliot, female writing books as a man just to get them published. Oh, really? Shit! Wow, Silas Marner, and we've got like I've got Ivan Boland as our poetry at the moment. What? Ivan Boland for poetry? She's a. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Is she, it Ivan or? F- oh yeah, it's funny. I, I always mispronounce that. It's so you doing the, the poetry. Same, uh, yeah, it's just that's just part of our English literature class. Yeah, but you might moment. be lucky enough as well to have to study Old English and study fucking Beowulf. That'll be really relevant to your life. Hoarfrost oh, clings to the mortar. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what would you Viking. do if you were to go back now, though? You'd have to do a master's. If you're doing a master's tomorrow, Des. Uh, I would still go back and do history. Like, I, I honestly, uh, well, actually, do you know that I nearly, I actually spoke to Trinity about possibly doing the master's course in, in, in China studies because oh, well. I, I, was, I did a talk for them and they were starting this new master's program and I actually pondered should I get the map, you know, because I could, you know, you can do most of it like remotely at the time. This is not when you had to do it remotely, but I, I did ponder it. Yeah. I think I, I would possibly, I, I would either do something related to China or something still related to history. Right. You, yeah, you are fascinated for, with history for sure. I, t- I mean, I, if, if, if I went back and did a master's in history, I would definitely uh, make my master's about modern uh, ways of understanding history through the lens of modern media, which, of course, I've mentioned many times is mm. a potential podcast idea that I had, but yes, was also a TV right. show idea I pitched like 10 years ago, which was go. watching history through, at the time, was going to be like Sky News, you know? Mm. Um, That'd be cool if your dissertation was a TV show like or a pilot of that or something. I'm a little distracted because I think the, the garbage man is outside, and I, I think my garbage was tipped over by animals last night. I hope they still take it. Anyway, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna engage. Yeah. Because um, sometimes they can be very like, they can be very fussy, and if like the garbage Bro, is not the same on my street, the, man, they're so fussy about what bag they will not take. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, Fuck stuff sake. like that. Yeah. You know. Anyway, these are first world problems. So let's uh, let's introduce Janine, who you don't know, but uh, as I said, she's a uh, she's basically. A big success story against all odds, overcoming massive adversity. She's a a successful uh, corporate lawyer, but but more importantly, her story is 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 about her childhood. And then uh, at the end of at the end of the conversation, hopefully, we'll discuss obviously uh, follow on from some themes that came up with uh, Yamanika last week, just about race in America. Obviously, this is you know it's relevant for around the world, but it's 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 hyper important here in the United States, the divided United States, the divided States of America. Uh, So, uh, and we'll be back with Steve after the chat. Enjoy. And uh, so, well, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. This is, this is Janine. And uh, we go back a long way. And I've always been fascinated by your story. 
It's a fascinating story. But I am also using you to <laughs> up my uh, up my caring about race issues in America credentials, you know? That's what white people do. So. Well, in my defense, you have actually been not pressuring me, but you've been sort of asking me, like, are you going to talk about these things? You know, as they've been unfolding over the last couple of months. Yeah, I think it's our responsibility, people with and without platforms, to have the conversations. Yeah, but... We have great conversations, so I was happy to finally be able to get you on a podcast, even though you're not a comedian or in the public eye. Not particularly funny either. Well, no, actually, <laughs> you are actually quite funny, but, you know, that's not, that's not our main focus for today. But, no, because what I like about the fact that, well, you, I mean, you really are a great success story, but I think it's good for people. You know, I think sometimes it helps people to take in the issues that are important to know about race by actually connecting to somebody's life story and their journey. So in a way, this is a trick to help people to understand, I feel. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot in the last couple of months, um, especially where I am career-wise. I have the space to, to do this thinking and to figure out uh, what sort of messaging to share with people and sort of what my obligations are. Um, and people are fascinated by my life story. Um, sometimes when I take a step back, I'm fascinated by my life story, uh, but I've lived it, so I, um, it's, just my, it's just my reality. Um, well, then let's just get into it rather than analyze it. Yeah. So, first of all, because I know that your, your birth mom wasn't around for a long time, so mm-hmm. you were born in the south side of Chicago. First, tell me about what you know about that and also what you remember that initial phase? Um, so yeah, I grew up on the South side of Chicago. I didn't leave until I was 17 and went to college. Um, and I didn't know I was adopted until I was about six or seven. Um, the story that's been told to me, my birth mother, um, she's a drug, she's a drug addict. Um, she was, she was, cause she's passed now. Um, could not care for me. And she frequently left me at my grandparents' house they were elderly. My grandmother had cancer at the time. My grandfather eventually passed from dementia, and they couldn't take care of a baby. So at about six months, my mother's brother, my uncle, um, and his wife uh, took me in, and when they found me, I was a failure-to-thrive baby. You're a what? A failure-to-thrive baby. Underweight. Right. <laughs> That's been a constant. Um, underweight, and my grandparents, because they were older with were feeding me whole milk at six months which anyone with kids know that's a big no-no um so I was a bit of I was a neglected kid um so at six months I was taken in by my uncle and his wife who I call my mother and my father Mm. um I wasn't actually officially adopted until I was 10 though so that was a bit odd so it was a um one of those Actually, it happens a lot in the black community. A family member just takes you in and they worry about the paperwork later. Later, right. Yeah. So, so, you, so the only thing you know of your relationship with your birth mother from those early days is basically through stories. You have no... I have probably two memories. Um, when I was younger, I think she would come pick me up and my brother, who also was taken in by my uncle and aunt, um, I have one memory of sitting in a bedroom eating salami with her. And another memory, I think I was probably six, and she told me she didn't like me because I didn't like her. And that's really, yeah, that's really it. But you do remember 
She was around. But you remember memories beginning and thinking that your uncle and his wife were your parents. Yes. Yes. And I didn't know otherwise until I was six. And when I was a kid, I remember people used to tell me that I looked just like my mother. And even very young, I thought that was so odd because I did not look anything like my mother. She's short. She's light skin. Um, and I'm tall and, and dark skin. And so I thought it was so weird. But people in the neighborhood knew who my real mother was. So that's who they were referring to. It was the oddest thing. So when you were six, what happened? I think because in the neighborhood, people, I was going to find out, basically. And also, I have a sister, and we are two months apart. And we had make, connected those dots. But eventually, we would have realized that we're the same age, and it's biologically impossible for us to be the same oh, right, age. right, right, right. Um, so her birthday is in July, mine is in September, and we're, yeah, we're the same age. Um, so my parents, my mother sat us down and said, um, Nina is... My family calls me Nina. Um, is really Kat's daughter, but you guys will never speak of it. You'll never tell anybody. If you tell anybody, we're gonna whoop you. Like that's how the conversation. Is that went. right? Yes. And Kat is your birth mom. Yes. Yeah. So that was that was the moment that you found out that this woman that you had met a couple of times was your actual mother. Yes. And I remember sh- maybe a year later, I saw my birth mother again, and she said, "Do you know who I am?" I said, yeah, your cat. <laughs> right. She, I think she wanted me to acknowledge that she was my mother, but I, we never, I never did that. And she passed in 2012. Yeah. Oh, you never. Yeah. Well, we can get back to, yeah. to that later. Yeah. So, so now you're, so, so here's the thing. You, you were saved by your uncle and, and your uncle's wife. And so you went from having a, a it was a, your mother was addicted to crack, right? Heroin. Oh, so your mother was a heroin addict. Your father is unknown. Unknown, yeah. Right? And so you went from that terrible situation to the way better situation of having a heroin addict uncle and heroin addict mom raise you. Yeah, it's so funny. So when um, I say I'm adopted, it's generally like, oh, then the story gets better. (laughs) And I go... So actually, I know it does get better because my, my birth mother had more siblings, right? And I, by far, I'm, not by far, let me not say that, but I'm the m- more successful person in the family, right? So um, I know if I were to say my birth mother, the story is, would not have turned out the way it is today. Um, but my, my mother and her brother were both on drugs. Mm. So um, same family. All of, this, all, all of my biological, um, my mother... Her, my, uh, her brother and their two siblings. Everybody was on drugs. There was not a single child of my grandparents who weren't on drugs. Um, and then my adopted mother, um, who's my aunt-in-law, you know, I, to this day, I don't know the extent of her drug use. Right. I know there was drug use, but I don't know the extent. But my, my father is currently still on methadone. Like, he was a drug addict my entire life. Yeah, your, 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 your uncle, but your dad. From now on, we're referring to your dad as that guy. Yes. Yeah, and he's on methadone. So he's an addict his whole life. And so you're, 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 you're the children of addicts. Your addiction completely is a presence throughout your entire childhood. Yep, still scares, scares me to this day. Yep. And so when did you become aware that you were poor? Um, it's interesting because you don't know you're poor until you start seeing people who aren't poor. And so my grandparents were, were 
middle class, maybe lower middle class, but they were middle class. My grandmother died in 88 and I was one. And then my grandfather died in 92. So a little bit of time we were living on the fact that my grandparents could support a bunch of people, even though they were on drugs Um, after they passed. And some of this I know from my older siblings is when the shit hit the fan. Right. Um, Because there was no folks who were sober bringing any money into the household. So we lived in my grandparents' house that was paid for, owned fully outright. Only thing you had to do every year is pay the taxes. Um, And I'll I'll get into that later. But when I was, I, I can't quite recall what age, but I remember it was Christmas time, and in Chicago, people hang lights from each other's homes. Oh, like across. Across. They, they're in cahoots. Yes, to decorate the street. And I remember we couldn't do that because we didn't have electricity. And then I thought, like, wow, how sad. And then I went to my best friend's house who lived across the street, and she had lights. And I realized, like, people actually have electricity. And we had candles. And so that clicked, was very small, little things clicked. So we also didn't have heat. We had two kerosene heaters in in each bedroom, but the rest of the house was cold. And I realized other people didn't have that. Like people actually had heat in their house. Um, And in the winter, we would walk to my grandmother's house with milk jugs to get water because our pipes would freeze. So it was slowly a period of time, probably from maybe from five to eight is when I start realizing we live differently than even the poor people around us. Right. Yeah. But did you have like any shame about that or? Yeah. The shame comes from, came from school. Right. Um, people used to make fun of us and say we smell like gasoline. Oh. And I would go, it's not gasoline. It's kerosene. <laughs> <laughs> um, like duh. Like what? <laughs> It's just so funny how kerosene is like a normal thing to you. Yes. I never used kerosene in my life. Yeah. And so people joke now about, I'm really healthy, but I microwave plastic, my food in plastic in the microwave. They go, Janine, like, it's so unhealthy. And I go, I grew up with kerosene heaters inside of a house. My lungs, like my insides (laughs) are already ruined. It's it's over for me already. Like if my life is going to be cut short, it's already done. Um, Because I didn't realize how hazard that was. But my sister had terrible allergies as a kid and she used to have terrible breathing spells and it's because we were inhaling um like uh carbon whatever it is carbon monoxide in the house yeah it's crazy so so how is it that i don't want to jump too too much off off topic but now you're in school and you're dealing with all this shit yeah like how are you doing in relation to your siblings and also like how are your teachers dealing with you i mean yeah is this like are you particularly bad the south side of chicago is infamous for this level of poverty but like how how down are you guys yeah so here's the blessing and um i have eight siblings and um four of them are older and four three of them are i i forget if i have seven anyway there's a lot of us and there's there's a whole range janelle who is actually my cousin we're the same age yes and so we went to school together all the way through high school the blessing, and I, and I give all the credit to my mother, um, who's my aunt-in-law, my mother. Um, I mean, I could read when I was three. Um, I was, Janelle and I could read very early, and we did well in school. So even if there was a little bit of teasing from the kids, 
Janelle and I were the smart kids, identified early and tracked that way from kindergarten. I think people do a lot of talking about tracking the bad kids and people, kids who are suspended and they get in trouble a lot and they're identified as a troublemaker and how that sort of ruins an academic career. Well, there is a flip side to that. And you can be tracked as a smart kid. And especially in poor schools where test scores are so bad, Janelle and I used to, like, with maybe five other kids, carry the test scores of the school. Like, we used to test high school levels and elementary school. So teachers... um, would be so they were so supportive they could see like very early on I think they could see Janelle and I and Janelle was a better student she had a better work ethic than I did um that we could make it out and my mother was involved like she was on PTA she was on the local school council is I, I I to this day I sort of don't understand how she was able to live this Duality, this dichotomy of a person, right? Like, be, she was married to my father for 40 years until she passed with a drug addict who would sell all of our shit and live in poverty and still be so invested in her kids' education. Yeah. Now, that investment wasn't, I don't think, the same for all the kids. Like, even her two older children, they, don't, they weren't, like, overly academically successful. And I have a brother who was terribly academically successful and she was she could not bond with him because she couldn't tolerate it it was hard on him but um i'm i'm rambling now but no i know but i mean it's so complicated it's hard not to get lost yeah back to it um very early on we were attracted to the good kids and that was a motivating factor like it became an intrinsic motivating factor i think for janelle and myself to do well and we maintain that i maintain that until i was finished law school (laughs) So, like, what was the atmosphere like doing homework in the house? Like, like, what? How much stress from your your father's drug addiction was coming home? How much distraction was there? My my. The, so here, here's an interesting point. I say this a lot. Oftentimes, and it it often falls to women who are poor. They give up the right to parent because they are poor, and they are actually ashamed of the condition they have their children living. So they become their kids' friends, and they sort of bond over poverty and there's no discipline and there's no um no one helping you succeed my mother would say i don't care if you're doing your homework by candlelight you're doing your homework she didn't relinquish that power and some of that is a bit of a control issue um but she still parented and she felt like she had the right to parent even though she had us living in a crazy ass situation um so it was stressful and she was a victim too right i mean it's like i know on she was a survivor yeah. too, no? It's hard because I think a lot of my siblings would say that and I, I struggle in giving her the benefit of that. Um, yeah, I think the answer to that is yes. Yeah, she got with my father when she was 17. He was 22. She got pregnant right away. Is the, is the, is the undertone of that that you, you still resent her for allowing you guys to live the way that you lived? Yeah, I resent both my parents for that. Which is completely understandable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a compl- more complicated relationship with my mother because I, she was so smart. I mean, she didn't finish high school, but she was brilliant. She would read encyclopedias. She would fix anything. She had so much potential. And since she's died, I, I keep thinking, like, what a fucking waste of mm. all that fucking potential. Like, how sad. Because um, she really was bright. Like, we every year at my school, there was a social science fair and a science fair. And she would enter us into every one. And she did, like, half the work herself. And she loved it. 
Like she loved learning. Um, so she loved learning. She gave us that love of learning. And um, so school wasn't as stressful. One, because it, in, especially in elementary school, it wasn't competitive for Janelle and I. We were the smart kids. We did well. Um, there were kids who was smarter, but we were like top 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. So school was actually like a positive experience for you. It was definitely an escape. I felt like oh, school, school was an escape. escape. Yeah. I love school. I love going to school. I, we used to miss like 30 days a year, 40 days a year because of what was going on in the house. And um, nowadays we would have, they would have failed us, but they didn't do that back then. And we would, the, again, the good kids and we did well academically. And we, we weren't troublemakers. Um, and like what's, what's like one or two quick examples of the type of stuff that was going on in the house? Well, the like, mon- Do you have any jump out, like, like just jump out memories? Yeah. Um, well, one, money was always an issue. I always, uh, this is like one of my sob stories. Christmas time, <laughs> my, my mother's best friend was like involved in a church and they would give us Christmas presents, light brights, walkie talkies, like things the kids love. And my father would literally take them and sell them right away. And um, I, I used to be so crushed. So I, I had faith in my parents until I was maybe 10 11. Um, and then my, when I was 11, my father had a heart attack. He went to the hospital. He came back and he had his discharge papers. And I'm nosy. I've been nosy as a kid. Uh, I'm, I'm nosy as a kid. I'm nosy as, as an adult. So I read his discharge paper. And they were like five different type of drugs he said he, he admitted to being on. And it was like, oh, and I stopped like two weeks ago. Of course, because you tell that to the doctor, right? Yes. Like I've, and I was like, holy fuck. Oh, it all makes sense. This, this reality is because he's a, he's a drug addict. And from that moment on, right, I sort of gave up hope in my parents. But I also, like, stopped being disappointed in them, right? I just realized, like, oh, I can't believe in them. They're, they're not real adults. Um, so was that, was that the moment you – did you feel like you were on your own? I've always had Janelle in the way, but Janelle and I, Janelle and I are, we're very close until this day. So I didn't feel alone because I've always had Janelle, but we see things differently in that aspect. So uh, when, when did you know that you were going to be able to go to college and actually like get, get free? Yeah, so, um, and I'll go back. You said, how did I, when did I know I was poor and when did the shame come? So... That started increasing for me. Part of that is just um, uh, puberty and, and peer pressure. Um, Jill and I and I went to high school outside of our neighborhood. We tested into one of these selected enrollment schools um, because a neighborhood high school is like you go there and you die. Some, literally, it, it, it um, sometimes. Um, and high school was in a neighborhood that was middle class. It's a black neighborhood, but it's middle class. And I was so mad, like all of high school. Janelle, got, Janelle and I started working at 15, our sophomore year. And our parents used to just take all of our money. And I was so angry. So I was an angry person in high school because I was like, this is fucked up. I cannot believe we had to live like this. We're poor. We got, a, we got foreclosed on our grandparents' house maybe when I was like, we were like 12, 13. And we lived in a house that after we moved out was, was condemned by the city because it was such bad living conditions. I mean, there were mushrooms growing from the ceiling. There was no kitchen. 
We moved into this house. There was no kitchen. We had to build a fucking counter. There were mice everywhere. It was nuts. And so I was so mad about how we had to live. And Janelle and her earnest was like, well, we'll just get jobs and we'll help out. And I was like, that's not what the fuck we're supposed to have to do, right? So anyway, we got the jobs and our parents still just use the money for drugs. Oh. So I was like, this isn't even helping, right? Um, so in high school, um, I, I was a little distracted by my anger, but Janelle and I still did well academically. I don't think there was a time that I thought I wasn't going to college. My high school at the time probably had a 97% graduation rate, and everybody went to college. Everybody went. So you kind of knew that you were going to go. I knew I was going to go. Um, it was sort of, I think like middle class people grow up. Oh, like when you go to college, what are you going to major in? Not if you go to college. Um, and we did have that support of other family members, Janelle and I, like we were the special ones in the family. People could see, right? People could see that, oh, these two um, are smart and they work hard. And we worked full time in high school at McDonald's uh, from sophomore year to senior year. Um, And we did well. And yeah, we applied to college our junior year. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I I never thought I wasn't going to go to college except for, the summer between senior year and going to college. And I thought like, God, please don't let something happen to make me get stuck here. Yeah. That's and good. Anxiety. So you never had any of the, the pull factors of like the ghetto. I get you never, you, you, you were never eyes turned by the madness of the South side of Chicago. Oh, but I, no, because I hated it. I think some people fully embrace it because they don't see a way out. Yeah. And I just thought, I cannot wait to get the hell up out of here because I know that this is not a way to live. Um, but your, your brothers, some of them fell victim to it, right? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Yeah, my, my oldest brother, who is my hero, um, went to prison did six years uh, of a 10-year federal drug trafficking um, charge. And um, he was a big-time drug dealer. He, um, his drug bust made the news. He had a million dollars worth of cocaine, $400,000 $400, worth of cash. Um, and I, I, I you know, I always that go, was the other way that you could go. I guess it's an easier yeah. road for guys to get sucked into. But Well, I think I tell my brother a story like this, and some, he disagrees a, a bit. Right, but he grew up with my birth mother, and she used to. She was a. She's been a drug addict since he was almost since he was born. She used to just like leave them in the park overnight. I have two. 
my my siblings are in pairs, so I have two older brothers. Um, they're eighteen months apart. My mother would just literally abandon them overnight in the streets of Chicago, days and days, and they would have to find their way back home. They saw her overdose. So their level of trauma to like actually seeing things firsthand um, definitely uh, surpasses what I saw as a kid. Um, and so, yeah, my brother felt responsible, right? So my, my birth mother, a drug addict, my adopted parents, a drug addict, he, all these children around, he probably single-handedly for a few years supported multiple households. And he reminds me, he was like, Nina, but I also had the best cars, I had flashy clothes, I had all the girls, so... Don't paint me out to be this this solo, solely a, a savior, um, but I think it's it's sad that he he really paid for a lot of things. And my life, I remember my life distinctly changing when he went to prison because we did not have that money to live on. Um, and he went to prison, and none of the adults who were taking his money, they didn't go to prison, right? Everybody knew what he was doing, and everybody was happy to 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 live off of it. Um. But he, he's living a great life. He's a success story now. He uh, keeps the story of, of his drug bust in his barbershop. He owns a barbershop. He doesn't, he said he doesn't, he stops fully at red lights and stop signs <laughs> and he does not pass go. Um, and he, in prison, got a GD. He realized he didn't want to ever get in trouble again. But the thing about him is that he was intelligent always, right? So if he was born in a different neighborhood, he probably would have been a Wall Street guy. Yeah. Uh, he knows how to make that money. He knows how to make money, hands down. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's 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 another conversation, and it, it's it's yeah. not just race; it's poverty. I mean, it's yeah. universal. A lot of people from that socioeconomic situation end up making money from drugs, but they end up in jail because of it. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I've always been of the opinion that it's not fair. But in relation to this conversation, it's interesting to see the pros and cons of it, which is that you guys actually ended up having a better life until that was gone. It was, it was, it was, it's night and day, night and day. I mean, he used to buy a school clothes, Christmas presents. I mean, and any other Christmas presents after that just was sold for, for drugs, right? School clothes. We went from getting new school clothes to uh, shopping at the thrift store. And I tell you, I did have a hard time as a kid because I'm, I was small in stature. I'm still a petite adult. And like, we used to go to the thrift store and I used to buy adult clothes and wear them to school. <laughs> and kids are cruel. To this, you know, kids are kids were not nice. Um, so yeah, high school, high school was tough. Um, anyhow, yeah. So I have a, a bunch of siblings, and um, you know, there are no actually, uh, no one's in prison. No one's um, a, a, a gang member currently. Um, we did have enough positive factors where there's varying levels of success, and nobody's like a bad person. I think I look at Chicago now, and some of them I could like they're bad people. They'll kill you over nothing, right? My brother did bad things, but there was some moral guidelines. Yeah. So what, when did you know that you wanted to be a lawyer? When my brother went to prison. Really? Mm-hmm. Very early. Well, because I realized very early that it wasn't fair, right? I was like, it's not fair. He's just helping us out. And so... That was a bit naive, right? Very um, small. It was a child's idea of, of fairness. Because um, Reggie would tell you now, either I would have went to prison or I would be dead, right? Those are my two. Those were the two choices for me. Um, but as a kid, I thought it was so sad and so unfair. So I wanted to become a defense attorney. 
Um, that was my goal. And so I, I've been saying I want to be a lawyer since I was maybe six or seven. Really? Yep. So you went to college and immediately like, I'm going to be a lawyer. Yep. I ma- majored in political science. Um, now, when you got to college, like, how did you feel about suddenly? So, sorry, let me ask you this. The special high school you went to, was that like white kids? You know what? No, we had probably a couple of white kids left. It used to be, it had previously been a, a, a diverse school, more white than black, but the neighborhood had already changed by the time I went, but there was still enough resources left when I went there. Um, it was an international baccalaureate program, which means it has a lot of AP classes and world language so I applied to a specialized program. I took Spanish for four years. I don't know any Spanish <laughs> to this day. But um, I remember there was this white girl who stayed with us the whole time. And she, to this day, is the sweet. I see her. On, I don't have social media anymore, but I used to follow her on Facebook. And um, she's as white as can be, but she gets it, right? Because she grew up around black kids. She's a doctor, I think, now. So then, then you went to college, and now you're in, like, normal-ass middle-class world yeah so when i applied to colleges janelle decided to go to a big school and i decided that we can't go to school together anymore because we've gone to school together since we were in preschool and so i didn't apply to the school she went to i went to a college fair i applied to a school they told me i can go for free and i said okay i'm gonna go to that school so i i went to i applied to that school i got a full ride scholarship um and i in one day i went from the south side of chicago to uh, Hallandale, Michigan, it was, my undergrad was 94% white. It was in a farming town. Best decision I ever made, but I did struggle my first year. Not academically. I've never struggled academically. I just want to say that, but I struggled with the change in, in, in one, being around all white people, um, and two, also fully starting to recognize privilege. I really struggled with that. Like people's parents took them grocery shopping and bought them things and did stuff for them. I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't believe that happened. And I was angry. I was like, what the fuck? Right? Like, yeah. how did I, what? Um, what did I do to deserve this? Yeah. So I was lucky because my roommate for, for all through, um, call, and they probably did this on purpose, was uh, a black girl. Um, so I got matched with a black girl and her mother took me in as her own. So whenever she came to visit us and she took her daughter shopping, she took me shopping. When she bought her something, she bought me something. So that's... That softened the blow? Yeah, and that's how I And you didn't made feel it. like a charity case? You didn't feel like... I've been a charity case my whole damn life. Oh, so you were comfortable with it? I've just got... Like, <laughs> what am I going to say? No? <laughs> no, don't buy me food? No, don't help me out because I don't have anyone helping me? Shit, I'm not stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how do you feel about that now? Grateful. Yeah, just grateful that these people helped. Um, because there was a lot of people like that. A lot of people. Um, I meet people all the time, and I, I do think um, there is something a bit special about me. I, I And that's not to have a big ego. Um, but I do connect well with people, and people do want to help me. But as a kid, people people have done that since I was very young. And I think because I, I work hard and I'm not trying to bullshit anybody. I don't, I don't, I'm not manipulating people. I'm not purposely, I don't purposely have my hand out, but I'm very transparent about my story too, right? Closed mouths don't get fed. Um, so I'm grateful for everybody along the way, which is sort of, I've been ranting about this lately on LinkedIn, which is my only social media now. 
we we need help. There's no pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. If you are saying that you believe in diversity and inclusion, you have to reach down and you have to help somebody. And you have to, one, make it feel like it's not charity. Like, no, I, won't, I don't want to say no one, but most people who helped me did not make me feel like I was a charity case. Mm. One, because they knew I was going to be successful in a way that was going to pay it back. Right? Plus, like, they felt, yeah, they felt like you're worth it. Like, yeah. you deserve it. Yeah. Um, and I, and part of that is what has motivated me because I didn't want to let people down who've helped me. Right? I don't want to be a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you, you're the minority story, though. Mm-hmm. The the yeah. I, don't you feel that the bigger story is that most people don't make it out, particularly yeah. in terms of, I, I mean, obviously we're talking about race. Race is a big factor here, but but you have the double bubble of being straight up poor. I mean, most of the people. <laughs> I think most people can't make it out. Yeah, most people too- cannot make it out. It's it's, it's not that most people don't want to make it out. Most people cannot make it out. It's damn near impossible. That's when I look back and I, at myself and I say, oh wow. That's amazing, right? Because there are certain distractions that I did not allow myself to succumb to, right? And I could have. Um, but it's all a trap because you can't make a misstep, right? Yeah. When you, you are, like one when you are a kid, right, you misstep. When you're a teenager, you misstep. But if you're in the situation I was in, you cannot misstep. If you misstep, you are fucked and game over. And you just settle for whatever, whatever fucked up life you're going to live for the next 40 years yeah. and you die early. So do you feel lucky sometimes that you didn't have a misstep? Yeah, it's fucking luck. Yeah, it's luck. I had a, a, a lot of common sense. Hell yeah. Yeah, because I think like, you know, I, I, I was a teenager. I did graffiti. I fucking flunked out of school. I drank a lot. But I, I got sent to a boarding school in Ireland. And then, you know, after three years in that boarding school in Ireland, they didn't want me back. My parents sent me to another boarding school. And they weren't that wealthy. But like, yeah. I just had so many chances. And I was so impressionable. Had I been in your situation, it's guaranteed I was going down the bad road. It's a guarantee. Yeah. But so somehow I knew I couldn't do any of those things. So um, at elementary school, I, I never got in trouble, right? I never got to the principal. I've never had detention. High school, I had one incident. It was a bit weird, but like I've never gotten any, any real trouble ever to this day. Like I've never been in trouble. Um, and I knew like if kids were going to do something bad, I just went the other way. Like I didn't take a, a gamble. And I, this is one of the things I love to say. Like when I was 16, I put myself on birth control. Because I know that was one of the ways people get stuck in the hood. Right. So, like, I, I knew, like, oh, I can't do this. I can't hang out with these people. And I can't make those choices. Somehow I knew that. Somehow you knew. Yeah. Which is a miracle, really. Yeah. Praise be. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. And you don't know why, right? It's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, I guess my mother was also scary, though. She would have beat my ass, too, yeah. for a lot of shit. Yeah. So... You're 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 a successful lawyer now. I'm just jumping ahead, just because yeah, you got. To be honest, yeah. well, to be honest, your story is, is too dense to to capture in yeah. one moment. <laughs> yes. But you know, you did okay in college, right? You went to law school, University of Wisconsin, yeah. and then you just came out into the professional world. Like, did you have have you felt like you've belonged the whole time? Do you feel different sometimes? Yeah. So. Um I've touched on the fact that I struggled the first year of college. Um, I'm lucky because I, I had white people, white people around me as a kid. So I, I didn't have to deal with the full culture shock of not understanding white culture. Uh, but it was still an adjustment. And there's always something when you're the poor kid. And I think that sometimes... It is, it is race related and you're the different person you feel like you don't belong and you all you often feel less than and I think I struggle with that 
my first year of college and I was angry and it was very clear that I was angry. I joined an organization called Student Senate. I ran for office, which I, I love to this day. But um, and I, this white guy, his name is Frank Balster. He sat me down and he said, Janine, you're so angry. What are you going to do about that? You're going to just be angry and you're going to do something. It's your choice. Like you're at, a, you're at a pivot point, right? You can be mad for the rest of your life. Or you can start channeling that and helping people and being proactive and building your skills. And this kid was like a, maybe he was a junior in college when he told me this. And I was like, okay, you're fucking right. So um, I sort of redirected my energy. And very soon after that, I realized any inferiority complex was not deserved, right? Like, I'm from the hood. My parents are drug addicts. So whatever table I sit at, I deserve to be there. And probably more than anybody else at that table. You know, not assuming other people's life stories. But goddamn, what I did to get there, those people didn't have to do. Mm. Um, so I start owning that more and more. Uh, and, um, yeah, that became sort of my identity. Like, I deserve to be here. I work hard. And I, I have a great work ethic. I do work hard. I do show up, um, and no one can challenge me on that ever. But does it does it heal the anger? Does it does it cause the anger to subside? Does it does it make it better? What makes it easier to redirect? Right. One, you're not doing it. You're not putting it inward because that happens a lot. People feel like they don't belong. They feel inferior, and they actually self sabotage. Mm. And uh, I've been able to avoid that. I've been in meetings with important people you know more times than I can count and I haven't I feel like I have a right to be at the table and voice mm. my opinion um you know but the anger's still there I'll probably be angry until I die <laughs> yeah well you got plenty of reasons to be <laughs> yeah for sure so do you so now that we've come to this this reckoning in America about race and you've experienced the full whack of you know the disadvantage associated with being a black person in America yeah. Like, how does this make you feel? Oh, I'm still angry. Um, so it's interesting because I've struggled over the last couple of months. Let me go back. I've talked about race relations at least since I was in college. I have a lot of white friends. I went to a school that was 94% white. I've done, I've done a lot of educating of people, right? Because I'm from the hood and I hang out with people who, are, who have no idea what really goes on. And sort of everyone from the hood, they aren't actively making choices to ruin their life and how things happen and how people fail, right? People fail because they're set up to fail. So I just sort of give people that perspective as to why it is the way it is. And we're not happy that way. It just is the way it is. Um, and so I've been having these conversations, I think difficult conversations with my friend group um, for 15 years. Um, so the, the new awakening this year, I find a bit disingenuous, ingenuous. I can't say the word. Ingenuous? Disingenuous. disingenuous. Yeah. Um, because the people really not know, right? Do, do white people really not know how bad it is in America? Well, clearly they don't because still to this day, I, I've, I found people in my orbit that think that all this is people that don't want to take responsibility for their own situation. They, people still think that. I think you could do. Who's the Who's the woman? Jane Elliott, older older woman, race sociologist, very 
famous. The one who did the blue eye and brown eye experience. Right, I, I'm, I'm not up on her. Okay, the question is, okay, so who would want to be black today? Yeah. Oh, you think this is just black people? Would you want to be a black man tomorrow? I, I want to know people who would honestly answer, yes, I want to be a black man or woman tomorrow. No one's going to raise their fucking hands, right? And if you know it's a shittier life being black or brown with your same brain, right, then you know it's not just us. You know it's extrinsic factors uh, continuing the oppression. Um, anyway, so the conversations of late, I think, have been good conversations to have. I think people who who have been aware but they felt a bit hopeless and didn't know what to do are now they now have things that they can actively participate in. Um, but I do think um, I'm a I'm a pessimist in, in this in this position. I think we're we're gonna have to burn first, and I think I mean our country is collapsing for a number of reasons: capitalism, racism, sexism, ignorance. Our failure of edu- our education system <clears throat> is a failure. Our healthcare system is a failure, mm-hmm. and race is just another thing. Race almost is like a distraction, <laughs> a bit from all the other things that are on fire. Well, yeah, just in the sense that internationally, a lot of the issues around black people in America kind of mirror your classic issues of marginalization, disadvantage, poverty, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, 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 it's an add-on. Yeah. And it's, the, the, the really frustrating thing about the add-on is it's inexplicable. Why the fuck do people hate people because of the color of their skin? It's a, it's, a, it's a very strange thing that complicates an already complicated situation well it's a great way to control people right oh don't don't mind what i'm doing hate that guy over there yeah (laughs) um and i also feel like a bit like black people are being gaslit i i don't know how much you follow kenosha wisconsin but they they shot that guy seven times Mm. in the back because he may have been they don't know what the fuck he was doing, but they were reaching in his car for whatever and they and they let that 17 year old walk past him yes yeah that's the same police force. I, yeah, but they, that's the same police force. So, like, are we being gaslit? Like, you're gonna tell me that you don't understand how fucked up that is? Yeah, well, I don't understand how people can't see it. That is just not. <laughs> they shot that man seven times in the back. And when I watched that, vi- I watched that video. Um, the guy should have listened to police, right? I'm one of those people. I I can acknowledge that he was not obeying orders. I still don't think they should have shot him. I think we need to take a tactic that shooting our civilians should be should uh, should be a rare rare occurrence, um, and this is a situation where it should not have happened. Um, and they can they will try to justify it, fear of their safety. It's like a script police officers use. It's a fucking script handbook. Mm. I fear but for it's, my it's safety. It's distinctly American. Well, it's it's certainly uh, it's not uniquely American, but America is one of the countries in the world where this is common. There are yeah. plenty of other countries in the world that have issues around crime and poverty that don't require this much gun violence from police onto other people. Well, we're okay with it. Yeah, that's the problem. That's pro- why it's that's a problem. part of the problem. The U.S. citizens have said we're okay with the, poli- with the police, the power of the state, killing us. Plus, with the internet, you can see that some of it is clearly just overt racism. Yeah. You know, that some people literally think this is deserved. Well, there's racism so ingrained into policing that it's very hard to separate the two. Hmm. But let me just bring it back to you, but it's in, it's in the same vein. So you're a success story, right? You're the classic person that can be held up and said, see, yeah. people can make it out of the hood. And how do you respond to somebody who might try to use you in it as an example of maybe people need to take more responsibility for their own lives? Like, what's her face? Candace. <laughs> what's her name? Candace Owens? <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to address her because I don't want to give her no, but you know what I'm saying. No, but I, I'm just saying that argument of yeah. you can make your way out sometimes sports, you know, this certainly. There's an argument that's made that would use you as an example. Often. We all know, and this is backed by social science, that people generally do not escape their socioeconomic, what they were born into, right? You, you generally have the same friend group. You stay in the same socioeconomic um, class. Now, tech industry has made that a bit different because there's kids who can make a lot of money different from their parents. But um, generally, you're born, you, you live in the same class, and then you die, right? So um, same goes to people who are born in poverty. Unless there is something that interrupts the cycle, then they're probably not going to escape the cycle. You want people to do the impossible. If you can understand how you're a perfect example, kids who grow up with a lot less problems make <clears throat> fucked up decisions, right? Because they're children, mm-hmm. but, but they have a buffer, right? You, have a, you, you had parents who had resources to not let you ruin your own life. Mm-hmm. Now, kids who don't have that situation, their parents are probably often a hindrance to that. Um, why do we expect a child to be able to overcome the, the impossible? It's, uh, it's not a realistic expectation. And so you know a kid can't do it, and so then all of a sudden you say, oh, you're 16 now. Now you should be able to do it. With what tools? What tools have we gave them to be successful? None. I used to be a prosecutor in the Bronx, right? I used to go to the Bronx. It's dirty. The streets are dirty. The food fucking sucks. And the school sucks. How the fuck are people supposed to make it out of the Bronx? How? It's a joke. People can barely make it out of fucking Soho. <laughs> <laughs> you kidding me? Yeah. So, so uh, what would you think is necessary to give more people a chance to make it out of the Bronx? In, in terms of particularly in your own personal experience. And that's the question, right? What can we do? And this is, I, 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 this is what I've been posting about. For all these companies who I actually think are bullshitting, but let's see, with the PR statements, we support diversity and inclusion, we support black lives, then you need to fucking help them, right? What, how was I successful? Because people at various points in my life said, I see you, I believe in you, and here's how I'm going to financially and emotionally help you around the situation that you're in. Right. So I had teachers in elementary school who took extra time. Right. Teachers who said, oh, you're smart. Do this. When I was in fifth grade, there was a teacher and a, a person walked in and they had to select kids to be in this free but intensive um, summer program. And this teacher looked around the room. He just picked four people. All lives changed. Right. All lives changed. So what if we have funding and you can pick 10 kids Mm. and they get to escape their neighborhood and they get to see how other people live, right? It was hard for me at times as a kid to see other people live, but it gave me something to aspire to. I had nothing to aspire to before besides having fucking lights that went across the street. (laughs) (laughs) That was my initial aspirations to make sure I had electricity. Then it became like, oh, I want to do well in school. I want to uh, be in a place with computers and learn and travel. My world started to slowly open up, right? And those options became available to me, and I had a reason to work towards those options. But that's because I had support along the way. High school, my boss at McDonald's, who I 
fucking hate it who owned a mcdonald's he gave me 500 dollars when i graduated high school to buy books for college right that type of support now think about the corporations who have imprints in these communities right what if you do mentorship programs what if you go into these these don't go into the good schools go into the failing schools and pull out some of these kids and change the environment Mm. yeah it's support and it's, it's financial and emotional support for real not these fucking bullshit ass pr statements and you can't wait until we're fucking grown to do it either yeah mm-hmm. i mean and you would think right now would be the time to do it because there seems to be a lot of goodwill associated with it yes i mean you don't mind if the motivations are selfish right once the results are positive and i don't care how i get a seat at the table as long as i get a seat mm. <laughs> so just to just to kind of wrap it up, I mean, I could talk to you for quite a while about all this, but you personally, like now that you're a successful adult living your life, how do you feel about what was done to you now? I mean, you, you don't have the anger in terms of like it motivates you through life, but in your quiet moments, yeah, how do you how do you process that? How do you make peace with it? In my quiet moments, I really do try to be grateful. Um, And I think it's easier for me because I do have the perspective of what could have been. What could have been is a very ugly story. And, um, you know, I try not to lose sight that I'm involved in saving myself. I I definitely embrace that as well. Um, But I'm grateful. Uh, I'm also, I started therapy. (laughs) Oh, you did? Yeah. I started therapy um, and, and talk to my therapist a lot about, yeah, my childhood and the impact um and i help people i mentor teenagers and i feel like that gives me so much um satisfaction because i'm actually doing what things that help me and i feel like i'm helping a new generation my my very first mentee um got a full ride a scholarship to university of chicago um and so i I, i'm giving back in the way that i can um especially because I'm, i'm a i'm a corporate attorney so i benefit from the, the the bad corporate America money, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I I give back as much as I can. I, I, mean, and I try that's to be like grateful. A, yeah, there's a almost like you know the AA way is like you can only keep what you have by giving it away. But I mean, in a way, you you've taken on like an old school spiritual principle there in terms of forgetting yourself to help others. I don't forget myself. No, Let's but what, no, sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm still I, enjoying the the life of, of of New York City and and. No, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, what I mean is that that selflessness gives you freedom and peace. Yes, yeah. Well, because I really do fundamentally understand how I would not be here without other people. It's not a question to me. I, I, I honestly think, and this is sounds a bit like a conspiracy theorist. But sometimes the system wants you for, to forget that. Like, they want you to become a Candace Owens. They want me to say, look what I did. Look what I... And they want me to change my narrative, right? Yeah. But I, that's, it, it's not true, right? I could not have been successful without the people who were in my life. Um, and I won't... I, my goal is to never forget that. And to help people. Help kids, for sure. Um, well, I mean, that's really it. We can, we can talk again about the issues of the day. Uh, I, won't, I won't push you any further about how you feel about your parents and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much. You've nothing to plug, right? Because you're just... 
You're not a like a public figure. Yeah, my only thing to plug is plug is um, have difficult conversations with your friends. Um, if you are a white person and you have black friends and you haven't had a difficult race relation conversation, they're not actually your friends, and you need to um, examine that. So let's start meaningful relationships. Let's look at our own biases, and I think black people can do that as well. We can look at how we can be better. That's what have been a goal of mine. You know, what blind spots do I have? Everyone can look at their blind spots and how can we be better uh, and vote. Yeah, well. Because this is... is this one voting, is important. We're voting for our lives. Unfortunately, it's only Irish people really listening to this. <laughs> Tell your American friends to vote, okay? <laughs> Shit. Well, thank you very much, Janine. Thanks for having me. All right, Steve, there you go. That's that's it. That's a, that's a, this is a, the second week in a row you're res- you're responding to a chat that you haven't heard. <laughs> <laughs> but I still hope you enjoyed it, guys. <laughs> Brilliant. No, well, it's good. I mean, th- th- this one you're definitely going to have to listen to, Steve, because oh, well. this is uh, you know this is a, this is a biggie. Um, so that's it, Steve. We'll be back. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'll try. I'll get an Irish guest. I don't want our Irish guests to think I've completely abandoned them. Yes. What about mm-hmm. Joanna? She didn't. She never come back. She's not really talking. Oh yeah, actually, it would be. It should be Joanne's week next. Joanne, week. it's your week we'll, we'll, now. Come on, come back. We'll check with Joanne. Come back to the uh, lads. Um. Yeah, Joanne. I, I. She's got a few things going on, but I'm not sure we're allowed to say. Oh, interesting. She got one big thing. Ooh, one big thing. Brilliant. Yeah, a positive, obviously. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Um, we'll see if we can get Joanne back on uh, next week. Um, but other than that. Uh, Make sure to uh, five stars on iTunes, leave a review. We love the reviews. By the way, just in case people don't know why we always ask for reviews, and I'm sure I've said this before, but it helps a chart position. Yeah, of so, course. So more people listen to it. And no negativity. Yeah. Look. The fucking you got very corked there right at the end. Did you notice Today, that? Today, sometimes. more people listen to it. <laughs> yeah. It actually just, it, it happens by accident sometimes. They, well, they, they do... Um Apparently, when I lose my temper, I go full langer. <laughs> oh yeah, when I lose my temper, I go full New York. Oh yeah, yeah. And then when I'm in like, I've never to sound seen educated. that. <laughs> when did you see me lose my temper, Steve? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> first, man, I've laughed about. So. Do you remember the first time I worked for you in Navin? Yeah, na- yeah. So Navin. yeah, you were opening up for me. I hardly knew you, right? That's what, like, yeah, basically yeah. how I met you. We didn't know. We, we didn't like. Well, I had actually met you years, years ago when your DVDs and all that, blah blah. But the um, that was the first time we met work wise, and um, the 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 back door of the theater wouldn't open. We should, should can we tell this? This is behind the scenes stuff. Oh, oh, when we arrived. Well, I was already there. Christina had already brought me. You had arrived. But uh, there was nobody, there was no crew there to open to, to let you in the back. And we didn't know what we were doing. And everybody was sitting in their seats and the show was ready to go. <laughs> Do you remember oh, that? Oh, I was late, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Those traffic was bad. Yeah, yeah. Traffic I was, was late. Bad in the yeah. M3. Do you well, remember you know, that? Navin, no? just, just, just to explain. Yeah. Navin is one of those weird venues where to beat the traffic, you have to leave at like 4.30. Yeah. Right? Which but means you'll be way too early. You get there so early, right? Of yeah. course, you could, you know, but to get there like at a good time of seven, you're leaving at six. You're just sitting in traffic forever. So the thing I do at Navin is I leave late, and I always say like, "Listen, just let the crowd in," because <clears throat> usually the traffic is less and you can get there quick. And what's the difference? You're sitting around. The show is set up. So I would imagine that I thought I was just going to leave Rialto at seven, get to Navin at like 
745, 750, but we ended up hitting traffic anyway. I'm yeah. assuming that's but, what happened. But, but yeah, well, I assume that's what happened. Yeah, because Christine and I had left super early, but traffic was bad. But I knew a few sneaky roads because I used to live out in the Blanchetown area. But bear in mind, I hadn't worked for Des before, and I was like performing in front of this big room of people, and I'm like wanting to make a good impression, etc., etc. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up having to run around to open the big fucking huge truck doors. Had you, you know? been on yet? No. <laughs> no before you went on. So before no. you went on, I was Christina was like, hey, Stephen, can you help us open that open that door there? I was like, what's going on? Oh, we on? literally couldn't open it. That's right. Yeah, we, we couldn't, couldn't open it. Open you, it. You lit, we lit, and there was nobody there. There was no crew. It was like there was nobody there to open the door for you. So that's when you went full New York, I remember, from the other oh, side of a window. <laughs> oh, from the other side. What was <laughs> yeah. I? Like? You were out in the park cart going, someone open the fucking door. And I was just like, hi, I'm Stephen. I'm about to go on in a minute. I know. I would have had the pre-show nerves. I'm not great before shows. Like, I'm not great before shows. I'm you know, like either. in that, like. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously I'm nervous. I'm full of adrenaline, of course, and like I'm fine. But if anything sort of like deviates from yes. the norm, I can yes. get a little, I can get a little uptight. If but you the, watch, uh, I showed Hannah. My dad was nearly James Bond. You know, a documentary about yeah. the show with my dad, and like I have a fucking big row with my brother before the show, and I'm like uptight. Oh really? Yeah, but it's because yeah, like that's, everybody. That's human. Ev- Every, it totally everybody thinks my girlfriend said that to me before about something she was like oh yeah but you do this stuff all the time you don't care you go you go speak in front of people it's easy for you it's not it's still fucking you still have to deal with all the anxiety you just do it you know it's still we're all still full of nerves before doing it oh well well that's great now you fucking tell people i got a bad temper bro no i, I didn't say i never used that terminology days that's not i said i it know was but just, it's true yeah well who yeah we're all human pre-show blowouts yeah but the, yeah it was a pre-show blowout and then it, and then the mic was literally there next to the door as well remember i was like ladies and gentlemen Stephen Mann, and i'm like oh fucking hell <laughs> but uh you did well even though that venue that's a great venue great audience but sometimes acoustically it can be strange it's because really of, of that stairway going down the middle yeah as you look up at it yeah it blocks it off weird but yeah, it was good, bro. It was an architectural. That was an architectural decision, not a fucking decision on the totally, on isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Acoustics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, I had great. I had great uh, Mia Mama shows there. I did it twice there, actually. Brilliant. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to, I'm grateful to Nav and God. Those shows happened Ugh. until we oh. get back to normal. All right, oh. Steve. All let's, right, let's brother. Get on with our lives. You get back to studying. Yeah, I'm going to do some study this afternoon. Do, do, do some study because you're a mature student, so you have to keep up the mature student vibe of like being really good. The problem with the Trinity Access program is they're all fucking mature students. How do you compete with each other? Uh, it's, it is different ages. There's a couple of retired people, and there is a few people I've just dropped out of school, like early 20s. Um, so yeah, it's a good age range, and I'd be in the middle of all that. So um, it's a good age range. But I won't be doing psychology, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 ask the listeners what should Steve do in college. Well, yeah, that's a good one. Basically, go to the Trinity College website, and I can pick anything from the arts and humanities. That's it. Oh, it's arts and humanities. That's all you can do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't do anything else in college anyway. Like, I wouldn't be a business head. Would you do economics? I would be science. Mm, probably not. No. No. I'm interested in this one course that's called PPES, which is Political Science, Philosophy, Economics, and Sociology. Yes. And so I, I find that f- stuff fascinating. So there is economics in there. Yeah, but like you get you just do that for the first year and then you pare it down to two subjects by the end of the degree. Um uh but we'll see. I'm I'm loving philosophy at the moment. 
My mom wants oh, me to philosophy. Do Jesus Christ. What are you going to be a librarian? I mean, no, no, yeah, but not gonna... I'm not going to do it. I just love the subject. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what you do don't you do want for a living. I'm full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what we do nowadays. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You don't need a fucking degree. We are fucking philosophers. <laughs> yeah, we're full of fucking life life advice. For fucking, uh, hey, why don't you listen to these comedians who have no yeah, yeah. concept of reality about fucking how to live your life? <laughs> fucking so- Socrates and Plato the on the mic here. Huh? The internet is full of fucking comedians giving life advice. <laughs> I know. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> All right, bro. All right, brother. Look after yourself. All right, man. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.